This week on the podcast, a little nonprofit news for the week of September 20th, nonprofitnewsfeed.com. Again, sending free weekly emails with the summaries of nonprofit news. Best news from the best sector. Usually great news. Sometimes not so great news. Let's see what we have today, Nick. Sure, I can start us off. This one is it's not fantastic news, um, but we wanted to highlight this article from the New York Times, which did some great reporting laying out the challenges that NGOs and humanitarian organizations face and nonprofits in general based on supply chain disruption and shortages. So this article highlighted that Nonprofits on the ground in Haiti actually are experiencing disruptions because of global supply chain issues caused by the pandemic. Um, They highlighted the plight of one organization called the Haitian American Caucus, which they run like a low cost shoe program in the country that actually their supplier, which is also a nonprofit, literally can't get enough shoes. There are literal shortages of goods and all sorts of issues up and down the supply chain. And even extrapolating this to a a more broad um, scale than just development in Haiti, nonprofits across the country are experiencing problems, particularly ones um, that work in that work with goods. So clothing, shoes, um, like physical goods are really being disrupted by challenges that come from the logistic and um, supply chain issues caused by the pandemic. And they said that um, this supplier that supplied shoes to the organization um, also supplies shoes as part of homeless programs in the United States, and they're not able to actually meet their benchmark of shoes delivered to homeless children in America because of these issues. So this is a really serious problem. And I think one that is probably getting a little bit glossed over. Um, The article talks about how bigger brands are able to kind of weather these challenges. So think like Nike and larger, um, larger shoe brands, like they have the capital and the money to kind of put up with these challenges, but nonprofits that operate on the margins and, you know, their whole ecosystem is designed to be low cost. uh, It's not sustainable at this point. Yeah. And the nuance of this article, which is interesting, is that the shortages range for a number of reasons, including consumer purchasing behaviors, meaning that even they're talking about sort of second harvest in in Tennessee, saying, guess what happens when fewer people go to fewer restaurants and there's fewer that type of food waste that is able to be aggregated, collected and redistributed? Well, you end up with big changes uh, in, in terms of how they source this food and um, essentially uh, reclaim and recycle it uh, back into our system. And, uh, you know, we've been running this massive experiment, you know, necessarily called quarantining uh, for quite some time. And I I think this is just an interesting look at how it's impacting nonprofits and the stakeholders they support. Absolutely. That's a, a great piece of some great extra context there. Moving into a slightly different story, we have this news, which normally we wouldn't necessarily include this in in the top, but I think the narrative actually is kind of interesting. Um, The nonprofit, they're they're for profit, but the nonprofit fundraising platform, Omaze, 
has raised $85 million in Series C venture capital funding. So this platform for nonprofit professionals who maybe aren't familiar, the idea is that um, in exchange for you know, entries into a raffle or sweepstakes or what have you, um, donations then go to nonprofits. So Omaze is a platform where um, that happens. And they raised $85 million in VC funding, which is crazy. And uh, some there's lots of traditional investors listed, also some celebrities somewhat randomly appear, like Bono, Kerry Washington, and Tom Brady, which may or may not be a good sign, but um, an interesting quote from the Omaze CEO says that 90% of our participating charities' donors via Omaze haven't donated to that organization before. So maybe it is a good opportunity for, for nonprofits to get in the, you know, celebrity-endorsed sweepstakes game, um, but really interesting. That's a massive amount of money being funneled into this platform. Yeah, it may present an opportunity for your nonprofit to explore that type of, you know, lottery-based giving donation tactic. Um, we also should note that uh, Prizio is another large company out there that offers a similar sort of uh, buy a ticket, make a donation, win a win a something, an experience or what have you. And, uh, and they're a former client of Whole Whale, so we're um, we're familiar with the ecosystem. And I think the other side of the coin there about just to call it out that like, you know, uh, that huge percent, 90% um, of these donors haven't necessarily donated that nonprofit before it, while exciting, I, I wouldn't say that that is something necessarily to blindly celebrate simply because if someone is entering a raffle to win Hamilton tickets and it happens to go to your nonprofit, their interest is first and foremost to the prize. The prize was the hook was the motivation and reason. And by the way, it's nice. It is awesome. It's incredible to use this type of system to redirect funds to nonprofits. However, make no mistake, it's going to be a bit more of an uphill climb to build the relationship with that uh, individual donor who came in essentially motivated by a chance to win X. Um, But there's money there. And I think it's uh, really amazing to see this level of uh, investment uh, go into something focused on nonprofit fundraising. So I think net, net, good, net, net, good. I agree. Uh, I will donate to your organization if you offer Hamilton tickets. So if any listener is setting up a fundraiser involving tickets, let me know. Moving on down to summary time, yeah. (laughs) Summary time. George, you've been waiting for this. We we missed our chance. The Activist, the show we didn't shower a ton of praise on last week, um, has been, to quote-unquote, reimagined as a documentary after quite loud backlash, uh, incidentally, from the Twitter activist community. For listeners who may not be familiar, um, last week, Uh, We discussed this show um, produced by CBS called The Activist, in which contestants would compete against each other, be judged on social media success for the chance to petition their social cause at the G20. And some people, in my opinion, rightly pointed out a lot of potentially problematic things with that format. And it seems that they have, in fact, backed away from it 
George, initial thoughts and reaction. I think we, I think it was this show. I think us reporting on the activist and the problems inherent in the construction of it did them in. Um, you know, you have to be careful. With great power comes great responsibility. <laughs> I think I'm a, a <laughs> I wanted to watch the show actually, uh, slash sort of like hate watch it. And they're like, you know, you want to watch like, you know, unfortunate scenes sometimes unfold. Uh, you know, inherently what it got wrong was a number of issues that we noted last time, but, you know, mixing competition and social impact, mixing this sort of like, how do you rank one cause over another just ends into a deep, dark place that you don't want to go. And again, calling to mind the, you know, the celebrity element uh, of giving and altruism is, uh, is oil and water, is oil and water there. Uh, on on the the other side of, of this, my mind goes into thinking it's uh, it's unfortunate that the social impact sector, amazing activists and work being done has sort of like lost this, uh, you know, opportunity to be on prime time, to be sort of celebrated and, and paid attention to. Uh, so I, I think, you know, there, there was a kernel of a good idea, but then it got sort of stomped on. <laughs> <laughs> and and put in the wrong way in so many ways, shapes, and forms that um, it really, um, ironically, it would have been funny if one of the activists was actually a, a, a Twitter canceling project and it got canceled. So it found its target market too well, if that makes sense. <laughs> sure. That makes sense. <laughs> yes. I'll, I'll still... Re- uh, I'll still watch the the reimagined documentary version, but I think you're right. I think that there's there's a space for something on this topic, right? Especially coming out of a year of potentially the highest political and activist engagement we've seen in a generation. There's there's a yearning for content about it. This is not it, though. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, I think um, I think you could very quickly come up with several ideas, but I think it would be much better fitted into the, the sort of every every person's daily shift mindset and finding like the, the smaller stories of, of change that are happening that would suggest to the macro story, uh, absent of competition, frankly, absent of celebrities. It, it, um, I may be an outlier, but I sort of bristle at the history of celebrity and nonprofit. Uh, and I much rather the authentic story of somebody helping somebody who quit their job at X to go on and do Y, and then understand that that has to do with the food insecurities that are endemic in the population of, of America or, or this region. Like that's how I, um, how I feel a bit more resonant potentially with storytelling and highlighting the nonprofit sector. This week's sponsor, none other than Whole Whale, a digital agency helping social impact organizations build traffic and measure impact. However, they also have an amazing new tool, the Inclusivity Crawler, the inclusivity tool that helps you find language that may be offensive to some of your stakeholders and shareholders. It looks through issues of ethnicity, race, gender, health, wealth, religion, and a number of other isms, frankly, that maybe you didn't have in mind when you wrote that content last year. 
last two years, a decade ago. The inclusivity tool will go through a page or even your entire website if you need it and help you find language and replace that language with the kinds of words that will be welcoming. Inclusivitytool.com. Again, that's inclusivitytool.com. And now back to our show. Absolutely. There's so many amazing personal stories out there. People who we work with in, in the sector that are so inspiring who, you know, do the work without praise. And, uh, it's time we highlight them. Or Nick, total pendulum, other side, swing to the other side. You do nonprofit celebrity deathmatch. Two go in, one comes out with the win and the money for the nonprofit. And the other one's just, you know, not there anymore. That, that would be another approach. I'm surprised they're not contacting us for these ideas. We're just giving them away here. All right, let's stop before we give too much away. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's going to be... And our DMs very soon. All right, next story. Uh, this is just a quick note that the um, Nonprofit Times has released a 2021 survey and data compilation on nonprofit salary and benefits. So if you are curious about where you stand in relation to the average um, based on this survey, we'll note the um, survey size was 780 approximately organizations Um if you're interested on where you stand in terms of salary and benefits or your colleagues, this report is for you. Um, just a, a note there. I think this is awesome to a uh, great bit of work by nonprofit times, which by the way, we do uh, occasionally write for. So we are friends with nonprofit times, but uh, 781 nonprofit organizations looking at 233 different positions. And maybe you're saying to yourself, yeah, sure. I can go on payscale.com. Anybody who has done that and then realized you're like comparing yourself to like multi-million dollar publicly traded companies is like, oh, never mind. So this is a good apples to apples look. Um, they're selling it over there. Uh, link in the show notes, but good stuff. Good stuff indeed. And today, George, did you know that today is International Peace Day or International Day of Peace? International Day of Peace, according to the United Nations, right? I think uh, it's, uh, you know, deserves more than a day, but good to celebrate it. Absolutely. Yeah. So the International Day of Peace was established in 1981. Uh, it was ratified by the United Nations General Assembly. Um, and yeah, it's supposed to symbolize a day of peace, nonviolence, and ceasefire. Um, so yeah, a day, a day of peace, much needed, lots of conflict in the world. Um, but I did want to highlight that there's actually organizations on the ground that run service opportunities and things like that um, based around this peace day. I know um, from some folks in my network that there's a lot happening in the city of Philadelphia and a lot of great organizations doing on the ground work in communities there on this uh, International Day of Peace. So wanted to give a shout out to the wonderful city of brotherly love. And our last story here is that it turns out that Vanguard's DAF donors, it, maybe I'm misinterpreting this, but 1.7 billion were dispersed from those funds, which represents um, really a height of funds um, dispersed from DAFs in the year 2020. 
Yeah, DAFs are just this sort of like growing monster. It's, you know, over 120 billion in terms of amount of dollars in there that, you know, continues to grow with the market because again, it's in equities that are essentially earmarked for donations. And uh, it's it's interesting to look at this from the, the nonprofit trust, this report to just under kind of understand uh, um, where things are going. Oh, so that's not from the nonprofit trust. I'm sorry. This is from our friends at Nonprofit Times, but from Vanguard staff donors. <laughs> so Vanguard being a, a large mutual fund manager and uh, 1.7 is a lot, but understanding where it's going um, and also understanding that like, Again, over $120 billion sitting in these staffs that are earmarked for nonprofits at some point in the future. Uh, but they have some interesting uh, visualizers uh, if you really want to dig into like, like who's getting this money. All right, Nick, what do we have on the, uh, on the old feel-good front? Sure. I got us a feel-good story. Uh, it doesn't get more American, I guess, uh, supposed to baseball and potatoes. But it turns out that this story highlighted um, from North Carolina shows that a local baseball team and baseball players from the Gardner-Webb University down there in North Carolina um, teamed up and volunteered with the Cleveland County Potato Project. And it's just a fun story here. It talks about ball players giving back um, and working um, with this organization, which is a community, um, you know, farm uh, organization that does lots of really good work there. Um, and it just got me thinking that this is a section that we don't really talk a lot about, but there's a lot of great nonprofit farms and food projects across the country, um, both in the rural United States, as well as even in urban cities. I know there's lots of community farms in New York and Philadelphia. Um, so yeah, a really, really great story here. All right, Nick, thanks for sharing that. And as always, nonprofitnewsfeed.com is where you can get the weekly emails full of links and write-ups on nonprofit news, best news from the best sector. Thanks, Nick. Thanks, George. This has been Using the Whole Whale podcast. If you want to keep learning more about these topics and others, head on over to wholewhale.com university to keep learning with us. Thanks as always to Greg Thomas music.org for his tunes that underwrite our tracks. They're fantastic. Hope you're doing well, Greg. And just a reminder, subscribes really help us on any platform that you listen to us on. Please give a thought to click and subscribe and maybe even a comment because we like hearing from you. 